Father God, we thank you that uh, you're a God that uh, keeps his word, keeps his promises, that when we worry if you're going to fail us, we can know with certainty that, that you won't. And Lord, I pray that we would believe that today. I pray that we would not, not only believe it in a sense of understanding it, but, but we would believe it even to the sense of feeling it. And so, Lord, what, whatever we have walked into this room distracted by today, maybe it's an irritation in our life, some circumstance, maybe it's a trial, something really heavy, a real burden. Lord, I, I pray that you would just bring your gospel to bear on all those things, that we would, we would see all of those things through a lens of the gospel, that we would, we would believe that you're going to be with us and for us in all of those situations. And as a result of that, Father, help us to really eliminate distractions in these next moments together so that we can focus on your word, so, so that we can hear from you from this prophetic word that you've given through a prophet named Malachi. I pray, Father, that we could do the work to understand it in its context, but that we could truly apply it to our lives and be transformed so that we can look increasingly like Jesus. So, Father, to that end, I invite your spirit to come. May he encourage us, convict us, transform us. But also, Lord, I pray that everything that we say and sing in this service would bring you glory and honor. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, I'm the type that loves uh, statistics, and I love digging, digging into graphs and charts. I even love studying like the analysis of, of those statistics. So I want to throw some figures at you about maybe the, the state of religion in America today. There's about 330 million Americans, okay? And the statistics say that, that about 63% of Americans identify as Christians. That's roughly 210 Americans. But only about 43% of Americans claim some sort of membership in a church. That's roughly 140 million Americans. However, only 30%, we're kind of sliding down here, only about 30% of Americans regularly attend church. So that's about 100 million Americans. But, but only, and I want to say this stat right, this is less than 1%, only 0.45% of Americans tithe regularly to their church. That's about 1.5 million people. Now, to discourage all of you more as we start into this, all of those numbers are going the wrong direction. And they're going the wrong direction at a pretty rapid pace. So less and less Americans identify as being a Christian or a member of a church or regularly attend a church or give tithes uh, to their church. And, and you could make a, a solid case, I think, with those numbers that there's a spiritual apathy in our country. There, there's just a nominalism and an increased heartless uh, orthodoxy in our country. However, Spiritual apathy is not just a, like a masses problem, right? Like it's, a, it's an individual issue that we all deal with, right? Like, like we don't wake up just skipping and, and ready to get into the Word or in prayer. I woke up this morning and I, I woke up thinking about a problem that, that I was uh, frustrated with. And then I paused and said, what day is it today? I hadn't even opened my eyes yet. And I was like, oh, it's Sunday. So here I was in a moment where I should be excited about being uh, with God's people, preaching God's word, worshiping him. 
And, and I didn't, that wasn't even on my mind. My mind was on the worries of the day. We all struggle with spiritual apathy, and that's why we need the book of Malachi. Today, our passage, starting in, in Malachi 1.6, and we're going to go all the way to two, uh, chapter 2, verse 9, it talks about polluted religion. And so God's going to rebuke his people for a contaminated faith. He's going to call them back to something more pure, and he has a special rebuke for the religious leaders. So the, the whole book of Malachi is dealing with this problem of heartless orthodoxy, where on the outside they, they check the right doctrinal boxes and maybe do some of the right things, but on the inside their heart just isn't in it. They're, they're marked by, by spiritual apathy. So God looks at his people in the, in the mid-5th century B.C., and he sees people who are claiming allegiance to his word with their lips, but they're living very different types of lives. Their religion is polluted. Therefore, Malachi 1, verse 6 to 2, 9, it's important because an, an apathetic faith is a polluted faith. In other words, a, a lack of love, it leads to unfaithfulness. Or, or not caring, it, it leads to compromise. And worse, when leaders are there, they affect other, other people. And ultimately, what we're going to see is God promises the day of judgment to all this. So if you don't care to the degree that you don't even care how it affects other people, just know that there's a day of judgment coming. Today, the, the prophet's going to ask two questions. First, he's going to ask, is your offering polluted? And then second, he's going to go from the individual to, to uh, the, the public uh, religion, and he's going to say, um, are your leaders polluted? This is a long passage, so I'm going to kind of break it up into pieces as we go through. But ultimately, God's going to cause us to shut the door of pollution. So starting with this first question, is your offering polluted? Look at verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then, I'm, am I, if then I am a father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's my fear, says the Lord of hosts? O priest, you despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? Let's stop there, and, and I want you to notice that where God begins on this little sermon is His glory. God cares ultimately about His glory. He refuses to compromise His glory. And so He looks at His people and He says, listen, you're willing to honor and fear men above honoring and fearing me. And, and that's an issue for Him because it's an issue with His glory. Uh, St. Anselm had a great definition of God. He said that God is that which is no greater that can be conceived. Well, let that sit with you for a second. That's actually an apologetic for the truth of the gospel. If that's true, and it is true. And that's a profound reality of who God is. You can't even imagine something better than God. That's the, the truth of who he is. The, any attribute, any, any virtue, you take it to its perfect degree, that's who God is. He's perfect love. He's, he's perfect holiness. He's just and so we should not honor anyone above him. But we should also not fear anyone above him. If you read the Narnia books, Aslan is such a great Jesus character. And it's a great character for a number of reasons because the little girls are really drawn to him. In fact, they climb up on him and they feel comfortable in that. But if you remember when he's creating Narnia, like they're in awe of all of it and they're just locked in on him. But there's this tinge of fear that they don't even want him to, to turn and look at him. So they feel comfortable enough to approach him, but they're also really fearful. Of him. They're scared of him. Do you, do you honor and fear anyone above God? If so, God, uh, through Malachi, is saying that there's a contagion in your faith. Your religion is polluted. Look again at the end of, of verse 6 and into 7. O priest who despise my name, 
But you say, how have we despised your name? Let me tell you how. Verse 7, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. Specifically, how are they not honoring and fearing God? Well, they're despising him by, by offering up polluted offerings. Now, those are strong words. But despise means that they, they think contemptuously about God. Like the priests think that God is despicable in some way or, or beneath their dignity. They, they don't hold him high. They don't honor him in the way they should. They don't respect him in the way they should. They don't revere him. They don't fear him. And the proof that he gives on that that is what is going on in their heart, the proof that he gives is their polluted offerings. Now, we know that offerings look different back in the Old Testament than they do today. So, so they're, in the Old Testament, the way they worship was through the temple, and it was primarily through offering up animal sacrifices. So they did sing, they did do these other offerings, but it was primarily through these animal sacrifices. And there was something about those sacrifices that... that kind of gave away the condition of their heart. They were polluted in some way. Therefore, their worship wasn't pure. It wasn't clean. It was like the toxic pollution that's maybe pumped out of a, of a manufacturing plant. Like that was the state of their religion. It was contaminated in some way. It wasn't pure. It wasn't their best. There was a compromise going on. Are your offerings contaminated? If you were on trial like the Old Testament people of God, and God were judging you, asking for evidence of the pureness of your offering, how would, what evidence would he give? Would he determine that your offerings are polluted? Look at verse 8. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? Well, what does it mean that their offering is polluted? Well, he says here that they're offering sacrifices that were blind, lame, and sick. They weren't giving God their best. So they knew by the letter of the law that they were to make these animal sacrifices, but their, but their heart really wasn't in it. Like they checked the box, but, but they didn't give God their best. In fact, they looked at the herd and they said, you know what? I kind of need to get rid of that one anyway. He's blind, he's sick, he's lame. I'll give that one to God. So, so they're not giving God their best offering. Also, notice that God compares their relationship with him compared to their relationship with, with other leaders. And, and that's, that's a pretty convicting thing because they would never demean the Persian governors in that way. Like they wouldn't dishonor them. They, they honored them and, and they feared them, but it betrayed their heart in that they didn't really honor and, and fear the Lord as evidenced by their polluted offerings. Are your offerings polluted or are they pure? Look at verse 9. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Verse 9 is God kind of putting words to their thoughts and to their hearts. So they were offering up these polluted sacrifices, but then they expected God to still show them favor. We're so the people of God I can give him, you know, these sheep that really don't matter to me. I, I cannot give God my best, but I'm still going to expect him to bless me and honor his end of the covenant promises. They, they don't honor and fear the Lord, but they expect uh, God to show them favor. Let's be honest. Can we do that today? Can we cut corners in our faith with the Lord, not give God our best, but, but would hold him to make sure he gives us his best? Can, can we still do that today? 
Friends, that type of heart is a, is a prideful, polluted heart. That type of thinking is, is contaminated religion. That j- just like our forefathers in the Old Testament, our faith can also be hypocritical. It, it cannot be pure. Look, look at verse 10. Oh, that there were just one among you. That's the gospel in this passage. Oh, that there was just one among you who would shut the doors. There's the gospel. If just one would shut the door to the pollution, that you might uh, not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I would not accept an offering from your hand. Now before, their heart is revealed, and now God's heart is revealed. Just one. He just wants one to shut the door of the pollution. His heart is to bless, not to, not to curse, okay? And, and there's a, a very real sense here that not only is he not accepting their offering, but, but, but there's a sense that he finds displeasure in it. He wants to, to bless and, and not to curse, but he's not going to compromise his glory. And so his heart's desire is just one to turn. That's his heart's desire, but he's very clear that his glory matters, judgment matters, purity matters, and so he promises judgment is coming. Verse 11, he says, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. That's what he cares about, his glory. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Guys, uh, part of our relationship with God is difficult because we, we don't physically see him like we see other people, right? And there's also a sense that like we read this stuff about God being just and holy. But then we look around and we see the injustice in the world. We see the brokenness of the world. And, and so what we're experiencing is God being slow to judge. And, and that can be difficult, right? But when you're experiencing some sort of injustice, man, you want like, you like these prophets. You like Malachi, and you want that justice to come quick and now, right? But, but God is, is slow to judge. Therefore, it can seem like that the evil are getting away with it, okay? However, be warned, God is committed to his glory. That, that's why you can be confident that he's going to bring justice. It's not going to happen when we want it, maybe how we want it, but, but he's promising to be great among the nations, and that includes bringing justice. You see, accepting polluted offerings, that would rob his glory. God's perfect and holy. He doesn't wink at sin. And these people think that they have gotten away with it. They they think they've outsmarted God. Have you ever kind of thought you've kind of figured out maybe a little loophole in God's word? I know it says this, but well, maybe it says this, and maybe I can do this. And, and, and you do this gymnastics with it. You think you've found some sort of, of loophole in it. Listen, God will not be mocked. That's what he's saying here. You, you think you've wiggled out of something, but God is so committed to his glory that he will not be mocked. Look at 12 and 13. But you profane it when you say that God's table is polluted. And its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say... What a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has, what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? To profane something is to defile it. So they took what was pure and holy. They polluted it. They soiled it. And I pray that you see the, the escalation of the tone here. God's fury is beginning to build here. 
His people have taken what he meant for good, what was supposed to be life-giving, and they turned it into something that is evil and life-draining. And then God asked this question, shall I accept that from your hand? To be clear, the answer is no. He is not going to accept that. His glory now requires judgment. Look at verse 14. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. For his glory, God promises to curse those who offer him a polluted offering. That's the gist of this. His patience has run out. Cursings are now flowing down. Friends, God is a patient God. However, we should honor and fear him in case of that moment when his patience runs out. God reserves the right to discipline his children for polluted offerings. Again, is your offering polluted? Are your, what are your offerings today? And how can they be polluted? We don't do animal sacrifices today as part of our worship, but we offer up different aspects of offerings, right? But like we, we serve, we sing, and we give. And the heart behind all of those things really matters to God. Like you had priests here going through the motions on the outside, but, but they weren't faithful to do it from pure hearts, and thus their offering was uh, polluted. So when we serve in church in ways that's not our best, our service is polluted. If we just kind of drone on during that time of worship uh, through singing, maybe we're motivated by peer pressure or obligation. Friend, in that moment, your worship is polluted. Maybe you, you give out of this cold religious chore, well, then that gift is polluted. He wants what is pure. He wants what is true. He wants what is authentic. He wants your best. And, and listen, friend, good prophets, they hit everybody, okay? So if these words are, are hitting you in some way, th then I think you're being honest. Like if you're listening to this and, and you, you're kind of rolling your eyes that this doesn't affect me, this isn't relevant to me, friend, you're in worse trouble, okay? You've got a check engine light, but not, not the sort that you got to deal with it next week, like, like the, the engine block's about to break, okay? But that's where you are. Because the profit on these things, that this hits everybody, right? And listen, if the check engine light is going on, then you need to do something. First, repent and believe. Did you catch the good news in verse 10? Oh, that there were one among you. You see, there's, there's always a way back. If this is hitting you in some way, know that God's heart's desire is for you to turn. He's giving you an opportunity to turn. That's what this sermon was about in the 5th century B.C. It was an opportunity for the priests and the people to turn. So confess your polluted offering and believe again that there's something more glorious. Ask the helper to help you. God, Jesus called the Spirit the helper, and, and he was sent to help you in those moments, to, to soften your heart, to renew your heart, resolve to serve him with your best energy and insights. Ask the helper to help you serve more faithfully when, when you don't want to or when it's hard. Give cheerfully. Ask the helper to, to help you find joy in participating in God's mission. Sing with a joyful heart. Ask the helper to help you see the gospel as good news, and thus you sing out of that as your offering polluted. And again, uh, if you're a human in here today, this is hitting you, I promise you, in some way. And, and, and so turn and, and trust him. Take this as a moment to, to have a check engine light where you can follow him more faithfully, serve and give and sing with a pure heart and ask the helper to help. There's now a, a turn here in the passage. 
And it's a term from the individual to, to the public faith. Are, are your leaders polluted? Look at verse 1. And now, O priest, this command is for you. Okay, well, let's stop there and say, who are the priests? The priests were from the, the tribe of Levi, and they, and they had this, uh, they, they were designated, set apart in order to observe the, the temple worship. They oversaw the, the worship of God's people. And it was less about music and it was more about animal sacrifice. So if Daniel was back then in that day, it was less about guitars and it was more about killing animals, okay? I think you have a better job today. So, but that's what it looked like back then. Now, that wasn't exclusively that. There was a teaching aspect to that. There was a singing aspect to that. But they were primarily, uh, they worshiped God through these sacrifices. That's what the priests did. This was a privileged role. It was a blessing to get to be a priest. And it came with blessings. So as a result, those tithes and offerings that were given, they, it financially benefited the, the priest class, the priest tribe. They, they fed their families with, with the leftover sacrifices and offering. God granted them blessings. It was a blessing and a privilege to be a priest. But with blessing and privilege comes responsibility, right? They were in a leadership role. So they were to, to carry out certain duties, but God is saying that it was to be done with pure hearts, and when it's not, it's polluted. Further, they had these duties of teaching, and they were to preserve the doctrine of God's Word. And so if they taught something that wasn't from a pure heart, or if they taught untrue doctrine, it was polluted teaching. In short, the priests were the key religious leaders of the day, and they were tasked with preserving pure religion. And they were called to do that in the face of all sorts of pressures. So they were, they were to do it by carrying out their duties faithfully according to the Word of God. They were to do it by teaching things that were faithful to the Word of God. They were to do it uh, from pure hearts with joy according to the Word of God. But then in verse 2 we read, If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you did not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and I will spread dung on your faces and dung on your offerings and you shall be taken away from it. Friends, in God's economy, no one is an untouchable. No one's above the law. Like No one's out of the reach of God's justice. Our society is like every society uh, in the world and before us. Is that you have some people that just kind of get away with stuff that maybe you wouldn't be able to get away with, right? Like that, that happens today, right? There are just some people that based upon their position or their money or their fame, they just get away with stuff that we couldn't get away with. That's not how it operates in God's economy. So even... If you think you're above the human law, God is reminding religious leaders that they're not above his law. So if they fulfill their duties, teach his doctrine, but they do it from unpure hearts, God is promising to curse them, not to bless them. And further, they need to be warned that their disobedience affects other people. It affects people downstream from them. So it's a warning. And, and, and let me ask, can this happen today? Absolutely. This can absolutely happen today. Can religious leaders serve out of obligation rather than joy? Yes. Can religious leaders not fulfill their religious duties? Yes. Can religious leaders teach false doctrine? Yes. And you can probably name the names, right? God is still warning religious leaders. Look at 4 to 7. 
so shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. God returns back to his covenant in order to remind his people of his expectations. He, he has some expectations for his priest. God promised life and peace, but he expected his priests to fear him and to glorify him. God's expectations of his priests was to teach sound doctrine. God expected the priests to live these spiritually pure lives, to, to walk with God and to walk with others in a, in a righteous way. God's expectation was for the priests to protect sound doctrine. Faithfully teach God's word. That was their role in God's people. And further, he expected God's people to view them that way. So God noted the history of him keeping his end of the covenant. And now he's noting the breakdown on their end of the covenant. Malachi 2, it reminds pastors and elders and staff members, I think small group leaders, uh, 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 to, to play your role in the life of the church. You have a role to play here. And God's calling you to play that role. And listen, God has you here for a reason. And listen, if you're a leader in our church, your ministry affects other people, and thus your ministry matters. And I think if you're a leader in this church, you would amen this. It's a blessing to get to minister to people. It's a blessing. It's a joy to play that role. But brothers and sisters, there's a responsibility to it, right? Like you're not going to get all, you're not always going to get to say the things that you want to say. If you're a leader in this church, well, I'm just saying it. No, no, you're not. You're not just saying it. And, and also, if you're leading the church, maybe you have fleshly desires that you want to pursue, maybe some sort of idea or some sort of false doctrine. You, you don't have the freedom to do that. You see, your responsibility is to God and his word and this calling. It's a life of blessing, but it's a life of expectations, and it's a life of responsibility. So religious leaders, you're going to face temptations. You're going to face temptations uh, to pull away from your role, to pull away from your calling. You're going to be tempted to fear men rather than to fear God. You're going to be tempted to go through the motions and not purely worship God or walk with God. You, you might be tempted uh, to, to not do that hard work of upholding sound doctrine. You might be tempted uh, by the world to teach false doctrine. You might be tempted to be a domineering leader rather than a servant leader. You might be tempted not to guard your heart and your life and to not live a pure and, and righteous life. Friend, be warned. You're not untouchable. You're not above the law. You're not beyond the reach of God's justice. Look at 8 and 9. But you have turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways but show partiality in your instruction. God ends with a gavel. He ends with judgment. Judgment has been rendered because the priests, verse 8, have turned aside from the way. As a result, verse 8 They've caused many to stumble. 
They've been polluted. Their religion has been polluted in some way. And then God promises there in verse 9 to make them despised and abased before all people. Again, religious leaders, you're not untouchable. You're not above the law. You're not beyond the reach of God's justice. Leaders, be warned. Run scared. Turn aside from, uh, from unfaithfulness in your duties. Turn to, turn to piety. Turn, turn to faithfulness in your doctrine. And then lead others uh, uh, to, back to faithfulness. Listen, be warned. Run scared. Stay humble. Be persistent. Cling tightly. Live transparently. Take every thought captive. Put on. Put off. Fight the fight of faith. Run the race. Repent. Believe if you're a leader. And friends, I also want you to hear the good news of Malachi 2. If you've been harmed by a religious leader, know that God saw it, okay? Listen, if you've been harmed by a religious leader, they might think that they got away with it. And and you might think they've got away with it, but God saw it. God saw it, and he is a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God who cares about his glory, and thus he cares about justice. He holds leaders to a higher standard. And God does not show partiality. They're not untouchable. They're not above the law. They're not outside of his reach uh, for justice. They didn't get away with it. God saw it. Hear the good news. I promise you, God will administer justice. Maybe some human court won't, but God will. God promises it here. And and he stakes his glory on it. And friends, I also want you to understand when you should leave certain religious leaders. Over the past decade, I think we've really seen a a shift in the reputation of of ministry and ministers. And I know this is anecdotal, but like, you know, ladies, maybe you do this, but guys, you know this. When you meet meet another guy, you shake hands, you need quickly, what's your name? Okay, and then you quickly get to what? So what do you do? And so that's always a a fun question for me. When they throw that at me, you know, I'm a pastor. And then it they kind of get wobbly, and they start, did I cuss like two sentences ago? Like, that starts run, running through their mind. But in the past, that actually became like this opening for the gospel. In the past, it was like, oh, what? I've never met a pastor. Okay, and then we start talking. Or in the past, it was like, Why'd you, why, why do you do that? There was some intrigue about it, and then we're quickly into a, a gospel conversation. Let people to the Lord just by, what do you do, okay? It, it's kind of a blunt force object, but it was a way to get in there. I've noticed a change in the last few years. So what do you do? I'm a pastor. I've noticed a change where many people now view me suspiciously. I see it on their face. When I say it, they just don't trust me. (laughs) It's sad to me, but I get it. However, friends, we are to rebuke the leaders. But I also think this passage needs to rebuke the followers as well. Clearly, I think this is clear. We have a problem in evangelicalism of platforming people who are not faithful to pure doctrine and pure lives. You're you're probably thinking of names. Listen, no one's perfect, but when people teach polluted doctrine and live polluted lives, we need to quit buying their books. We need to quit listening to their podcasts. We need to quit listening to their music, and we need to quit paying money to go to their conferences. Amen? And listen, you can you could name the names, right? There's a lot of people who have gotten really rich from Christians buying their Christian stuff. And then when they abandon the faith and they make a wreck of their lives, what do they do at the end? 
oh, those Christians are so judgmental. There's so many of them out there. Christians don't platform people who are not faithful to pure doctrine and to pure living. And finally, friends, that might mean you need to leave certain churches and leave certain ministries. Now hear me, no church is perfect. But there's a difference between honest disagreements kind of within the category of orthodoxy and people trying and polluted doctrine. Friends, let me just give you two headlines from like this year. The Pope is blessing what the Bible clearly says is a sin. The, the United Methodist Church, a quarter of them have left because the majority of American Methodists are saying, this is good, this is righteous, what the Bible, thus God, clearly says, no, is a sin. Nerds, you know, you, you know good publishers, right? Crossway and these different things. You know Erdman's? You know Erdman's Publishing? Erdman's was a go-to for me in, in grad school. Erdman Publishing, two years ago, started celebrating Pride Month on their website. Erdman's Publishing is no longer a trusted Christian ministry. Friend, if our denomination teaches polluted doctrine, we need to leave. If, if a ministry that you support has become polluted and corrupted, listen, graciously give them some time. Let them work through it. Let, let, let the reform happen if it needs to. But if it doesn't, then it's somewhere on there. Quit giving them money. Quit giving them support. Friends, your leaders should hear the firm and clear rebuke of Malachi 2. If you're a leader, hear, feel the weight of this passage. But also, you have a role to play, even if you're not a leader, in the purity of God's church. Amen. Malachi's second sermon was a, a rebuke of people and priests whose doctrine and lives were polluted. And hear me, their lives were not scandalous. Like on the outside, it, it might have looked faithful. But there was something in, in their heart, something in maybe even the subtle religious practices. But hear me, this is not a nitpicky sermon, okay? It's a call to be the one who shuts the door to the pollution. It's a call to say, listen, where the check engine light is going off, shut the door to the pollution. And if you, like, don't care how it affects other people, just know that he ends with the gavel. He ends with the judgment. He promises that he's coming again. So, we're all meant to feel conviction from this passage. And in the ways you feel conviction, let the gospel wash your heart. Remember what King David did when he felt conviction? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. God's in the business of doing that of changing heart, of changing motivations, of softening what was hard, of refreshing what was dry. If that's where you are today, ask the Holy Spirit to help wash your heart. Shut the door to the pollution. Again, I think we're all meant to feel conviction from this passage. Hypocrisy is a pollution that leads to corruption. Nominalism is a pollution that leads to self-absorption and meaninglessness and decay Self-justification, it's a pollution that leads to divine judgment. In other words, when you feel conviction, let Jesus purify your religion. If you're feeling conviction today, you're normal. But let Jesus purify your religion. Remember Titus 3.5, that God saved us. How did he save us? By the washing of regeneration. Let him wash you clean. Shut the door to pollution. And finally, remember that Jesus died to transform you into his image. He atoned in order to sanctify. You remember our go-to verse, for by grace you've been saved through faith, 
For this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. Not as a result. Why? So that no one may boast. But then he goes on, for what? For we are his workmanship. Created in Jesus. He's given us this grace. Created in Christ Jesus. What? For good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, he gave you grace. Not to sin. But he gave you grace for you to walk in good works. Let Jesus transform your religion today. Let him transform you from shallowness to substance, from self-absorption to to a God-glorifying life, from from being a hypocrite to to being Christ-like. Let his rebuke and his raising of the standard of your spiritual life, let let it make you uh, look more like Jesus increasingly every day. In other words, he died to purify you, therefore shut the door to the pollution. We began with some of these stats about spiritual apathy. Like less and less people identify with Christ. Less and less people are attending church. Less and less people are joining churches. We are the wealthiest country in the world, yet less and less people are giving tithes to the, to the Lord. And, and even Orthodox Christians, people who just believe in sound orthodoxy, we can struggle displaying a heartless orthodoxy. And, and listen, think about it this way. What if those statistics were not true? Like, what if it, 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 what would it look like if more people repented and believed? What would that look like? Like, how would life change if more people started attending church? And, and put it in our context. Like, how would Denton County improve if more people committed to, to living in covenant community in a local church? How, what, what could we accomplish if the number went from half a percent that gave tithes to one percent, like, 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 what could we accomplish? What if we shut the door to pollution? What if we shut the door to apathy and nominalism and this, this shallow faith that looked good on the outside but on the inside was weak? Imagine the hope that could return to the lives of anxious young people. If we just lived in these pure ways, imagine the happiness that could return to the lives of depressed students, how we could help them, how we could have more resources, how they could see something that was more beautiful. Like like imagine how more of the hurting in our community could be helped. Imagine how marriages and friendships could be healed. Imagine the missionaries that we could send out. Imagine the churches that we could plant. Listen, shut the door to the pollution, the nominal faith. The compromised, hypocritical faith looks good on the outside, but but it's a heartless faith. Friends, God being glorified in our generation, it begins with us. And it begins with us allowing him to purify our minds and our hearts and then our lives. So feel the conviction of the word and be one of the ones who shuts the door. Turn from the the polluted religion of the day and, and let the Helper, purify you in the ways that he needs to purify you today. Brothers and sisters, shut the door to the pollution. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, as we've waded into the, the deep, heavy waters of, of a prophet, Lord, I, I thank you for someone like Malachi who, who stepped out and said the hard things. Lord, I, I just pray that we would, we would hear your word today. I pray that we would even be burdened by it if we need to. But Lord, I pray that that, the burden of your word, the burden of your standard, I pray that it wouldn't crush us. The only way it won't crush us is if we turn to you. 
Lord, certainly in this passage, it's calling us to turn away from some things. Lord, may we turn to you in the ways that we're feeling convicted and burdened today. May we live lives that are more pure, not polluted, not compromised. None of us are ever going to be perfect, but help us to follow you in pure ways and experience the joy of that. Help us to look different. Help us to be happier. And I pray that that would then spill out to everyone around us. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen.